I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. And Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. We'll be coming at you with plenty of podcasts over this World Cup season. Kicks off today with our big preview. Gavin Casey here in studio and I'm joined on the line from Japan by Murray Kinsler of the 42. Murray, how are you settling in? Yeah, great couple of days so far. Uh, managed to escape the dreaded jet lag um, and settle in pretty quickly and been loving Japan. I've been here before, but really is an amazing country. Food is absolutely incredible. Um, and it's starting to pick up now. Uh, got into Tokyo a couple of times, and certainly there in the capital, there's the sense that the World Cup is coming. And even seeing some of the images of Wales training, they had an open training session today, and there's 50,000 people, or 15,000 people rather, um, local people coming to to watch that se- session. So it's brilliant to see Japan embracing it, and the All Blacks have certainly rallied a bit of interest as well. They'll be the kind of second team of most people. So so far, really good and uh, really exciting that we're now into the week of the World Cup finally starting. Savage, looking forward to hearing more about it. We're also joined on the line for the first time by Owen Toulon, Irish professional rugby coach who's fairly well-versed on Southern Hemisphere affairs as we look into the tournament. How are you getting on, Owen? Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, just echoing Murray's sentiments, uh, really excited about the World Cup. It's obviously into the first game week now. There's been a long build-up, so uh, I fly over to Tokyo on Thursday and, and uh, looking forward to getting over there for the, the first Ireland game on Sunday. Super. We'll just get a couple of news lines uh, done and dusted firstly before we look into those pools. Murray, what is the latest on Robbie Henshaw that you've heard over there? Yeah, so we just had an update in the last half an hour. Um, before we go into that, I'd say it's brilliant to have Owen on, on the podcast with us, um, a guy who's worked with the Melbourne Rebels and obviously with Ireland before that as well as an analyst. So really looking forward to his insights over the next couple of weeks and months even. Um, in terms of Robbie Henshaw, he is going to stay with Ireland in Japan. So the the fears that his World Cup was over um, are, are kind of receding for now. Uh, not much detail aside from that from Ireland. They didn't say what exactly is the nature of the hamstring injury or how long they expect him to be out. So um, that is kind of muddy at the moment. It looks like they're going to, I guess, take that risk and keep him on board and hope that his rehab uh, goes really well and that he's back in a number of, of weeks and, and potentially can feature uh, in the latter stages of the pool and possibly even a quarter final, if that is the, the reality for Ireland. Look, it's hugely disappointing for, for a guy to get injured. Having got here to Japan, you're, you've got that World Cup just in front of you and you don't even get to, to play a minute and, and you've got this hamstring issue. Um, Greg Feek, the assistant coach, said he is relieved to, to be here still and, and getting into his rehab, but it's really disappointing for him. And, and it is obviously a blow for Ireland to lose a guy who, has looked, who just looked so good against Wales last weekend, defensively superb. Um, and all his uh, kind of carrying and footwork and, and his passing even in attack was was really sharp. So that is a disappointment, but there's not going to be an injury replacement at the moment. Will Allison was pulled, obviously, from the uh, Ulster team there on Saturday for their friendly against Glasgow Warriors, but that was just as a precaution. Um, I'd say he will be standing by just in the event that the rehab doesn't go well in the next couple of days for, for Henshaw. But that's the update for now. So So he's still on the ground here. Super stuff, super stuff. Well, we'll look into uh, the pool. I mean, just we'll do it sort of uh, alphabetically, essentially. Obviously, Ireland's pool is pool A, and uh, the biggest fixture in that pool is the opening fixture for both Ireland and Scotland. But just before we actually preview that game specifically, very interested to get your interpretation of where Ireland have been at and where they are at now, Owen, given your own expertise in performance analysis and uh, working at the highest level as well, as Murray pointed out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always hard to get an indication of of form, I guess, in the uh, in the World Cup warm-ups. It, it's a bit of a phony war, to be honest. I'm, I'm probably a little bit similar down here in the Rugby Championship where teams aren't necessarily showing their full hand. But, um, yeah, I was really impressed with Ireland's performance uh, against Wales uh, last week. I thought uh, they were showing some really good signs of coming back to the form they showed in 2018 and, and really dominated uh, field position um, and kind of squeezed the life out of Wales. I think 40% of Ireland's possession was in Wales as 22. So, and once they get into that 22, they're just so good at kind of getting through the phases and, and eventually wearing down uh, defences. And and I, I thought what was exceptional in terms of winning that kind of territory and possession battle was, was just an excellent, excellent discipline, which I think is a key trait of all Joe Schmidt 
coached teams. I think they only gave away six penalties at the weekend, and had and to Wales is 15, and then also had a, a really low turnover count at only seven compared to Wales' 11. So really, they just didn't give Wales entry points into the game, um, and that combined with the Murray Sexton combination, or who are just um, such quality players at managing that uh, territorial battle with their kicking game or running game. I, I thought there were some really good signs there. And, and also, I think a lot of India has spoken about um, Ireland's quite a narrow attack, attacking off nine, but I thought there was definite signs of them looking to get a bit more stretch in their attack and playing off Sexton and, and using those, those forward runners off 10. I think that Van der Vlaer line break in the second half came off a kind of nice little micro play off Sexton. Um, out the back to to Carney, who linked up with Van der Flyer. So there's some good signs there. Again, I'm I'm not sure they're they're showing too much of their hand before um before the World Cup gets up and running, but uh, definite signs of kind of growth in their in their game in attack. Yeah, super. Murray, what about Scotland then? Like we've kind of mentioned their form uh, over the course of the summer essentially, and it's sort of been typical of Scotland under Gregor Townsend, like go to Paris, get a, a bit of a tonk and come home and beat France. And we're not really so sure, as Tom English pointed out on the podcast a few weeks ago, as to how they're, they'll get along in Japan, which while it's sort of neutral ground for everybody, is obviously very far from home where they tend to be at their best. Um, they won a tour over in Japan a couple of years ago and uh, obviously finished with a pretty decent win away at Georgia before finishing them off at home. Uh, where is Scotland at coming into this one um, from your impression over there? Yeah, I would sense that not much has really changed in how I, you know, certainly how I perceive them and, and probably Ireland too. Um, they've already spoken about some of the strengths that we've spoken about for years now, it seems, in terms of getting tempo into the game, taking quick lineouts more than most teams would, counter-attacking and kick-returning really effectively with, with a guy like Stuart Hogg, who is world-class at doing that. Owens just mentioned it though that Ireland are good at not turning over the ball they're good at not giving away penalties and, and allowing the game to, to break up in that manner which suits Scotland so much you think of that England comeback draw in the Six Nations which was a remarkable second half performance but a lot of that was down to England being sloppy in possession turning over the ball um, and feeding those real obvious Scottish strengths Finn Russell just thrives in that kind of play as well and um, they took full advantage of that uh, on that occasion I think that'll be a, a key focus for Ireland especially this weekend with weather uh, forecast telling us that it's going to be pretty torrential rain on Sunday in uh, Yokohama it'll still be very hot but it does look like it's going to be very wet and you would just think that that doesn't suit Scotland and the type of game that they'd like to make it in the hot humid conditions with moving the ball and, and shifting Ireland around and um, potentially more, more turnovers in those with the, with the slippery ball but I think Ireland will be the happier side with that forecast and I think they'll back their ability to, to grind Scotland down. Um, even thinking of the most recent Six Nations game where Ireland took their opportunities, even when they weren't playing particularly well in the last Six Nations, they, they took those opportunities when they had them and Scotland certainly didn't. You think of them having a five-metre penalty and quick tapping and then trying to catch Ireland off guard and turning the ball over. Big key moments like that where they, they just come up short. That's been the consistent kind of thorn in their side. Um, and listen, Stuart Tan or Gregor Townsend has, has built a really um, exciting squad and it is quite young and they don't have a whole lot of test, ca uh, test match experience. We looked through that on the 42 this week in terms of a caps and mass in each squad and they're certainly not up there amongst the, the highest, but there is um, a lot of talent, especially on that back line. The forward pack, um, I don't think there is set-piece dominant as, as someone like Ireland or England would be. Um, but they're certainly mobile and, and well able to play that style of rugby. Um, they are, look, they're a major threat and we know all about those attacking um, abilities that they have. But my concern from Scotland's point of view would just be that they, they'll get ground down in a, in a horrifically brutal test match. Yeah, would you go along with that, Owen, just that if it does turn into a slugfest, particularly if the pitch is like a swamp, and there's not much uh, give there that Ireland can just sort of win that type of an arm wrestle against them. And the sort of elite level teams have proven that to be the case against Scotland really over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, and I think I think Murray's nailed it on the head there. It's it's Ireland maintaining a structure to the game and keeping it structured. I think that'll be the template for the next two weeks going into into the Japanese game as well. That another team that's at strive on that unstructured kind of frenetic type rugby. So. 
Ireland, Ireland definitely have the ability with the experience in their squad, particularly at halfbacks, as we've already spoken about, about trying to maintain that structured game and, and not giving Scotland those entry points into the game. But I have to say, I've been impressed uh, watching Scotland, particularly in that France, the second France victory, a guy like Hamish Watson, who definitely wouldn't be a household name this side of the world, but I was ultra impressed with his kind of physicality, both sides of the ball. And he's definitely someone Ireland are going to have to target at that breakdown uh, when he's when he's pilfering and then when he has the carry he seems to have that it's almost like that RD Sevilla kind of second effort in contact and has the ability to bust tackles so while they, they, they might be diminutive in stature I think Scotland still possess, possess some dynamic ball carriers in, in that back row and then as um, Murray's already alluded to back three is a huge pace in their back three so how Ireland kicked to um, to Scotland must be kind of from a structured uh, perspective, but with with a, an exceptional kick chase. Yeah, that that's a really fascinating point. I, I want to get your sense on of. I, I know you're talking about Ireland holding back things, and their kicking game in the last four weeks or the the warm up games has been really interesting because they obviously been box kick for three games, and then against Wales they did that, and um, probably not too successfully. But what's your sense? Obviously, kicking one of your specialties. What's your sense of what they've been trying to build there? Is it just about getting that bit more variety, putting questions in Scotland and other teams' heads in, in terms of changing up each game? Yeah, I, I think to, to win the World Cup, there's going to have to be variety in their kicking game. And, and obviously, Conor Murray is a world-class box kicker and Sexton too, tactically, really astute kicker. And that is something that is very much admired this side of the world and probably much sought after, especially in Australia, having, having halfbacks with the ability to control the field and manage the game is not not necessarily something Australia is blessed with. Um, so I think that's an exceptional strength for them to have. But then, obviously, Rob Carney's left foot is, is a very handy tool to have. And I, I think just variation to their kicking game, not just becoming a predictable kicking team and kicking proactively. Um, often, it's when it's on to run, is also it's on to kick, especially on those edges. I, I thought actually Earls did a good job that, that – first scrum launch of the weekend against Wales where they hit Bundyaki first phase but then went back second phase again and didn't allow that Welsh hard press defence to come again because they just couldn't reset in time and and as Earls got the ball on the edge half penny had closed and that clever little left kick left foot kick down the down the line to engage Wales' blindside winger are, are the kind of things I think Ireland will look to to grow into as, as the tournament develops and become uh, a little, probably a bit more unpredictable in their kicking game. Yeah, I might, <clears throat> excuse me, I might come back to you, gents, and get like predictions for some of the big games uh, from the opening pool weekend towards the end. Uh, but just to, so we can kind of uh, move on within the pool, uh, and it's difficult to kind of look uh, beyond Scotland in a way, but obviously Japan will pose their own threat. Uh, Murray, you've mentioned like, how fever is very much set in over there, like when you're talking about 15,000 fans watching another country train and things like that. Uh, where does that game sort of differ stylistically in terms of the threat that Japan pose versus what Scotland offer? Yeah, it's been really actually fascinating to engage with the even the Japanese media and how they're trying to cover this World Cup. They're kind of at every press conference I've been at asking the players, um, which Japanese players they know. I think a couple of people have been stumped so far, but maybe they haven't done their in-depth analysis yet. Um, and Rory Best was being asked about Brexit, actually. He uh, delivered quite a good answer, to be fair to him. <laughs> he said Ireland has been kind of able to bring the two, um, all, 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 all four corners of Ireland together into one team, so he handled it quite well. In terms of the rugby, they've impressed a lot of people, I think, in the Pacific Nations Cup. Um they were really accurate in their attacking play. They had some lovely shape in, in how they attacked. And obviously with a guy like Tony Brown, who we've mentioned before, their set-piece attack is very inventive. He's a, he's a really creative coach. Um, and it's, as well as that, they've had an incredibly high tempo to their play. So there are elements that are similar to Scotland, certainly. Um, I think Ireland are very cognizant of the fact that Japan will want to keep the ball in play. They've been quite open about that. Um, and as we mentioned before, Ireland have been training for that, even looking at games, that, a game that might have 50 minutes ball in playtime, which would be absolutely huge. You'll be off the charts, really. And that's the way Japan want to want to do it. They want to keep you um, shifting from ruck to ruck. Their uh, two scrum halves, are, their two kind of frontline scrum halves are really good at getting the ball away quickly um, and allowing a guy like uh, Tamora at 10 to, to use the kind of really rigid shape they have at times. I think sometimes too rigid, actually. And, and you look at that the South Africa game they played last weekend, it was the first time in a while they played against a really top level 
um, international team and I, and I thought they struggled in terms of actually making decisions within their shape. They repeatedly used uh, one in particular coming off the touchline where you had your th- uh, pot of three forwards and they actually passed to the, the guy closest to the scrum half, so that minus maybe inside the obvious ball carrier and he was kind of using that sweep pass out the back but they did it every single time and towards the end of the game uh, Peter Steph de Trois, uh almost picked off the pass he probably should have kept uh, kept hold of it and, and scored a, an intercept try so it was just a little bit easy to read as well as that they really struggled with the aerial game South Africa essentially mm-hmm. like in, in short they kicked it every single time they had possession and they put up contestables and I think four of their six tries came from uh, winning those aerial contests Japan just couldn't handle that at all and I think Ireland will have certainly noted down that bit of a game plan they, the box also attacked their line out quite aggressively and got success there as well so those are the bits where you look at it and go you know Japan haven't played a lot of this top um, top top level international rugby and they and they struggled with that pressure they are in a home World cup course and they have massive uh, psychological benefit of that and, and they'll be incredibly focused they're talking about certainly getting into a quarter final and they've ambitions beyond that as well the, the home support will be really um, outstanding for them as well so it is a potential banana skin but for me that game last weekend just kind of confirmed some of the suspicions or maybe doubts I had about Japan and they haven't been exposed to those games too often so I think for Ireland that'll be um, encouraging Owen, oh, uh, speaking to a few Scottish people, one of their major concerns really for the pool is just that Japan on their day could catch Scotland cold. And obviously we've seen they have a little bit of pedigree in that regard after four years ago. Uh, where do you think they stack up against Scotland then uh, in a sort of a one-on-one sense, like when they actually square off in the pool themselves? Yeah, well, for the sake of the tournament, I really, really hope it's a dry day for that game because that could be an absolutely explosive yeah. game, I think, with, with, with both teams, as Murray's already mentioned, really keen on high ball ball and play time, which uh, could make for an intriguing game. I think Murray's kind of nailed a few key points on the head. Another, another I think, when when uh, the Rebels used to go over to Tokyo to play the Sunwolves, which by and large is, is a lot of the Japanese national team is, is to win that physical battle. Um, I think a high density of their, their Japanese players are in that tight five, so front row and, and locks. And, and you can, if you can really attack their set piece, uh, kind of take away their legs and, and their energy, and then just keep, keep denting the line with big physical ball carries, it, it kind of nullifies the speed in their game because they absolutely have some of the best back rowers in the world. I've worked with Amanaki Maffi, and he's just a, a devastating ball carrier. Um, really, really hard to stop. And I have a lot of time for Michael Leach, obviously a former captain of the Chiefs. Um, so sprinkled across the team, they've got a lot of class and power. Um, even in the back line, Matsushima, a, a guy that was at the Rebels as well, has got electric footwork. And he, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. So they've got, they've got enough players to to really hurt teams. It's just whether they can kind of withstand that physicality. Not necessarily Scotland might not throw that at them, but certainly when they play Ireland. I was surprised in 17. I thought it was a really loaded Japanese team when Ireland went to, to Japan uh, in that Lions year with a kind of, I guess, a second string side. And, and they really they really put Japan away quite convincingly in those test matches. And um, I think that's a good template for Ireland going into, into that second pool game. Yeah, looking at the pool opener then, uh, Japan obviously kicking the tournament off against Russia. So their tails are going to be up realistically going into that Ireland game a week later. Murray, what kind of margin of victory can we expect here? We've spoken obviously in the past about uh, Russia, especially along with um, some of their fellow minnows, despite the size of the country, are going to really, really struggle this time around. Yeah, I'd, I'd fear for Russia, certainly. They obviously didn't qualify into the tournament directly and benefited from a couple other teams being disqualified with those ineligible players in the in the rugby Europe Championship. Um, so maybe taken by surprise almost themselves being in the competition and their warm games certainly were grim enough watching. They, they lost the Jersey Reds to Connacht um, and they got absolutely hammered by Italy as well. So they don't look to be in great shape at all. Um, you'd hope for a guy like Mark McDermott, who's an Irishman who's involved in their coaching staff, that the World Cup does bring out the, the best in them. But I think Japan are in really good shape to, to start there with a um, a really um, big margin of, of victory and their attack would probably be far too much for, for the Russians to handle. Samoa are the really interesting one in, in the pool. Um, interest to get Owen's take on it. They played Australia last weekend and, and started very poorly and looked a, a bit disorganised but certainly grew into the game and when they brought on their kind of front row, uh, first choice front row, they 
really took the Australian scrum to the cleaners and scored even a try directly off it. They put in some huge shots and Steve Jackson looks, as the game wore on, it looked like they had that more structure. I know Chris Latham's working with their attack as well and World Rugby have kind of put a coaching team in place there. So again, I'm kind of echoing what Owen said about Japan. Like I really hope this tournament has uh, competitive performances from those, um, I guess, less regarded nations i hate using the term tier two and i hope that some somehow ends um, and is taken out of the rugby vocabulary soon because it's just kind of for me is almost like a language impediment to grow in the game and uh, including everyone at the top table so i hope those nations who we don't fancy too much for uh, kind of outright wins in the world cup they do create some uh, upsets and, and samoa certainly have a lot of talent there i know all the pacific island nations are missing players potentially who are on european contracts and can't quite give up that lucrative earnings at, at this stage of the season. But I do hope that there's um, really competitive performances from Samoa and Poulet. Yeah, Owen, what do you think of uh, what do you think about Samoa? Just very briefly before we move on to Pool B, like is it ju- just the way the pool stacks up? It's kind of difficult to see them taking a scalp. And yet, as they showed against Australia, they're a pretty capable outfit on their day as well. Absolutely, and I, I think I listened to an interview with Chris Latham yesterday, and, and the preparation time they had leading into that uh, Pacific Nations Cup was shambolic. I think they they met in Auckland Airport and had their first game two days later. So I think World Rugby really needs to address that if we're, if, if those tier two tier tier three nations are, are going to be competitive World Cups, we, they need to get the the appropriate kind of lead in time to the tournament to to form a cohesive unit because obviously all their players are coming from all over Europe um, and Super Rugby. So they've had a challenge in terms of the build-up. But I think as the tournament goes on, I would not be surprised with Samoa causing an upset in the pool. I think, as Murray's already alluded to, they've got an exceptional front row, Paul Alomil at Stade Francais, and Mulipola is obviously an experienced prop uh, in the Premiership. They did a job on probably Australia's almost first-choice front row uh, when they came on. So... If they get a solid platform and, and give give some of their backs um, some kind of good possession to attack off, then I think um, guys like Nanai Williams could could light up the World Cup as as he has done in previous World Cups, despite his age. I think he's he's still a serious threat. Fascinating. Don't sleep on Samoa. That's uh, <laughs> it's uh, going to be going to be interesting to see how they play out. Uh, Pool B then, lads, and it's actually kind of a similar pool in terms of its structure, uh, just in the sense that the two teams that would fancy be most heavily fancied to come out of the pool meet first and then can kind of taper off uh, towards or throughout the rest of the pool. Concerningly, obviously, that gives them perfect preparation for a quarterfinal against Ireland, whether Ireland come first or second, provided they do. Uh, New Zealand and South Africa... I think their last three games, they're 83 apiece on aggregate. And even the game before that, New Zealand won by a point. Like, there really isn't much between these two teams, Murray. They could wind up meeting again uh, in the showpiece at the end. Yeah, absolutely cannot wait for this, Daniel Cam on Saturday. It is going to be a cracking game. I was actually at the South Africa press conference uh, earlier on this morning, and they are so relaxed and excited about taking on the All Blacks. I think they've got over any mental hurdle that maybe existed in, in the last couple of years when they were struggling and they feel they've almost got the upper hand in, in that um, mentally now they know they can beat or certainly even draw last time with, with the with the All Blacks. It's going to be a really interesting matchup in, in styles as well and that's been a fascinating aspect of South Africa just since Razzie Rasmus has come in and it's almost like he did with Munster in getting those foundations right and allowing Jacques Nienaber to push the defensive side getting their set piece right and using some incredibly powerful athletes in a way that just suits them and allows them to, to be at their very best. The defensive side of it is, it's just been so interesting to watch those high wings that Africa are playing. At times you're, you're kind of head in hand watching them go and fight up, upwards and infield <laughs> and there's four men outside them and you're, you're thinking, where are you going? But yeah, when you've got guys like Colby and, and Mapimpi and, um, they're well able to to turn and get back and cover, and the, the work rate from the inside is absolutely incredible. So that when they do, when you do show that pass out over the top of them, often, uh, unless you're Bowden Barrett, obviously with that try on on counter attack, often you, they're they're able to catch up and, and make the tackle, and you haven't really gained all that much. And when they catch you on the ball well behind the gain line, they're they're well able to hit and they thrive off that. So that's been a real challenge for the All Blacks, I would guess. Line speed is 
obviously grown and grown and grown over the last number of years. And, and for the All Blacks, that has been a real challenge. And they've moved to, to using two clear uh, playmakers together on the pitch with Mackenzie and Barrett and then Mwanga and Barrett mm. uh, in, a, in a, I guess in a bid to, to kind of counteract that but listen the All Blacks are more intelligent than anyone in World Rugby I would say and it'll be fascinating to see exactly what uh, they've had up their sleeve potentially and not quite revealed yet in terms of how they're going to try and get around or kick around maybe even, even the box I, I just cannot wait for that game on Saturday it's going to be an, an epic encounter yeah, it's pretty exciting. Owen, do you give the upper hand in any which way to either of those two countries, or is it just a is it just a case of watching it watching it play out and uh, determining it from there? Yeah, I think I think as you've alluded to, Safka definitely found a formula to at least compete with um, with New Zealand because I think five points have separated them in the last four games, and Safka have come away with a win and a draw in that time. Um, they did well to come away with a draw in Wellington. I thought I, I thought all the statistics kind of. Uh, showed that New Zealand really should have won the game. They they kind of dominated line breaks, meters made, but it's just such a polarizing uh, contrast in playing styles. And and I think the really interesting thing is New Zealand, and and I really think they're booking a trend in world rugby at the moment because the the big word uh, in world rugby is is collisions, power. Um, and dominating contact. But if you look at New Zealand's selection policy and the profile of backs they're now selecting, it has been a, a big shift. If you look back to the kind of New Zealand teams of your, you've got your Nanus, Julian Sevillas, even going back to your John Alonus, mixed with obviously a little bit of subtlety of your Conrad Smiths, etc. But when you look at that New Zealand back line that might start at the weekend, I think it could be a combination of Smith, Moanga, if Sonny Bill is injured, it could be Crotty Goodhue, which is the, is the Crusaders combination of midfield. And then a backline of Bowden Barrett, Reese, and um, Ben Smith, and that is not a sizable New Zealand backline. It's actually quite diminutive uh, in World Rugby standards. And and what they're really looking for with their backs is that kind of triple threat of backs having the ability to run, pass, or kick, and become a little bit more unpredictable in that game style. And I'm not sure if it was the Lions tour in '17 or a couple of their encounters with England, but New Zealand are definitely looking to kind of change the emphasis on how they attack. Uh, and, and being able to beat those big physical teams with a, a high skill focus of ball movement and speed. And and I think Bowden Barrett and Moanga are two classic examples of that. Whereas once they have the ball, they can run with it, they can pass it and they can kick it. And that just makes the defender have so many decisions to make in defense, which is ultimately to break down the Nina Barr style high press defense. You've got to make those players make decisions. And, and often line speed is about taking away those decisions for defenders, but with a multitude of attacking threats in that back line, I think New Zealand are really after trying to unlock teams with with either a running game, passing game, or kicking game. How, how exciting is it that that, that is a trend, though? Like it's, yeah. You think of guys who are actually going to break open. The defence are so good now, and I think it's just brilliant that coaches at the very top level are, are realising mm-hmm. that you're the guys you mentioned or even you think of England like Johnny May who's not a big guy he's a game breaker Gary Ringrose at Ireland who Joe Schmidt values so highly for his footwork and, and being able to maybe break a, a kind of half break a line and put them on the back foot and then you can you can play off that I think it's really exciting the coach are going that way what what do you think of also the fact that New Zealand come into this work up like we, we had Steve Hansen up for a presser the other day and he was talking about the challenge of going and doing that three-peat obviously the first team ever that would would do it how much of an advantage is it for them that they come into World Cup knowing that they've now been there and done it a couple of times yeah I, I think belief is absolutely massive but I, I think I think they will be aware that teams are now have caused some difficulties obviously we talked about the Springboks already I think Ireland have won two of their last four encounters um, so they'll be cogn- cognizant that teams have the ability to match it with them and that's why I think they've got to be applauded for kind of developing their game and looking at new avenues of, of breaking down teams. So they'll definitely have New Zealand teams never lack in belief going into competition. So as you said, winning the last two, um, and I think the world, the world Cup record is actually staggering. I, I did a World Cup preview uh, at a lunch here in Melbourne last week, and, and I looked back at a couple of statistics. And they've got an 88% win record at World Cups. They've only ever lost six games uh, in all World wow. Cups, which is just which is just absolutely staggering. So, uh, form and, and statistics would suggest, um, which suggests they're going to be at the latter half of the competition. And then, just to add intrigue, I also looked at the, the Springboks World Cup record. They, they played two less World Cups than uh, 
than, than New Zealand, given uh, the apartheid uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s. But they're, they've only also lost six games in all World Cups they've played. Like their win records is about 82%. So when it comes to World Cups, New Zealand and South Africa definitely know how to perform. <laughs> wow. They're the kind of stats we live for, Gav. Love that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, pretty... it's an incredible record. And, yeah, it is an incredible record. And the, and the boxer are well able to, to, I guess, have that belief as well. I just think that their defensive game is... Obviously, we, a lot of us focus on attack when we're going into games and want to see it break up. Break up but the mm-hmm. Springboks have been so innovative in how they defend. And even a guy like Faf de Klerk, we spoke to him earlier on about how he's going to given free reign almost at times in the defensive system it seems like and he's again one of the smaller guys in World Rugby but he makes such an impact um, yeah. on the on the defence he makes such important tackles and such decisive reads at, at big moments as well as being in the line that's kind of changed as well Owen as well I guess for scrum house which who have been moving up further and further into the line and defending an awful lot more in recent years but he seems to have kind of stepped it on another level yeah, him and, and I think if you look at TJ Pernara in the rugby championship, he had upwards of five pilfers in the rugby championship. So, as you said, nines are really developing, having an extra number in the line that, that is physically able to handle himself and then to put pressure on the ball as well is, um, I think, is just a kind of sign of the of times to come with uh, nines. And obviously, Connor Murray is another nine that's well able to, to defend in the line. So... Yeah, the the role of of a scrum half has just so many. It, it's has such an influence on the game, and, and it's kind of multifaceted. Um, but just going back, another area of intrigue for South Africa is it, it's kind of a contradiction. But they have a very good structured game, but also an unstructured game actually plays into the hands of their X Factor players like Chelsea Kobe, uh, Larue. I think Mpimpi got three tries against Japan. They have got an abundance of pace in their back three, even Lucan Am at 13. So if the game breaks up a little bit, they have the players to kind of expose any kind of creaks and opposition defenses. And then the brutality of their forwards, but also I kind of alluded to in an article before that if their forwards can start to offload in contact, then they, they could almost be unstoppable because guys like RJ Snyman and Etzebeth, they're just, it's two man tackles every time. And eventually they'll win that numbers game. If it's one ball carry against two defenders and, and they're able to offload through contact, then uh, defences are going to have a real difficult time in containing them. Yeah, I guess I guess have just one last point on that is that obviously these are the potential quarterfinal opponents for Ireland, mm-hmm. presuming that Italy don't cause a massive upset in that group, which would be a, a, a major, major shock, obviously. Joe Schmidt, to be fair to him, did reference them when he spoke about a possible quarterfinal, so he's not trying to insult anyone. Um, but obviously Felix Jones there is now w- with the box, um, spoke to them about his kind of impact in a short space of time and they were really positive about what he's done. Uh, Peter Steffi was talking about being on a train and Felix Jones kind of accosted him with a laptop and was showing him clips and <laughs> they've kind of seen that nerdy obsessive side to him already. But um, they, they said he has made a pretty big impact in a short space of time that his ability to analyse and um, break down games and have that intimate knowledge of, of the Six Nations teams is going to be a real benefit to them. And, and certainly a lot of their players obviously playing in Europe as well. So they've got that edge to it as well. They can play um, maybe a little bit more variety as well in that sense. Um, and it's going to be really interesting if Ireland do end up playing the box and it's Razzie and Jack Nienaber and Felix Jones. Um, I'm sure Joe Schmidt will love that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a case of pick your, pick your poison, Owen, but at this juncture, without having seen the two uh, big teams from Pool be square off yet, which would, would you be leaning in terms of who you'd actually rather see Ireland face off with? Is it just a case that we kind of know on our day we have the belligerence to beat New Zealand possibly, whereas we're not quite sure if we can match up physically with South Africa or would you go the other way? Yeah, I think it's difficult to pick a team of those. They're obviously both in, in, in top-class form. But I think Ireland have mixed it with both in the past and I think once you get to a quarter-final, Ireland have the players to, to be able to play that knockout-type rugby, as we've already discussed, play that territorial ba- battle, high possession, uh, where teams down with the kind of brutal rook efficiency that they have as well. And obviously, low penalty count, just denying teams entry points in games. And I think Australia gave a really good template in that in that test match in Perth when they beat New Zealand was they just didn't kick the ball to New Zealand. They, I think they, they might have kicked 10 times in the game, but uh, they just backed their kind of their new attack framework to break New Zealand down and, and didn't give them entry points into the game. And that, 
I think that's something if you can do with South Africa as well, like that that high press defense is tiring on the defense as well. So the more phases you can make them defend for, eventually you'll break them down, whether it's through a penalty or through a line break. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think I think don't think Joe Schmidt would have a preference at this stage. I think it's a matter of getting to the quarterfinal and, and see what presents itself. Sounds fair enough. Last time we asked you, Murray, England were your World Cup pick. They're in Pool C alongside France, Argentina, USA and Tonga. Kind of a bit of a sleeper group in a way. I think we're all looking forward to that New Zealand South Africa clash because it's a pool opener so much that like you'd nearly forget about the intrigue of this pool alone. One massive team, uh, one of those sort of big eight teams essentially is going to be going out at the first hurdle. Um, Are you still confident about England's chances firstly, Murray? Confident would definitely be the wrong word. I, I don't think there's much between those top maybe five or six nations. And as we mentioned before, Rika go other, and, and anyway, pushed for a prediction, I would say England, um, based on the awesome physical power they have up front. And if they can keep those key guys fit, I know Mako Vunapola is not going to be back until I think, the third pool game. But if you've got Billy Vunapola and, and um, Mara Toje and Carl Sinclair and there's an abundance, really. I can name many more powerful players. Even the younger guys like Underhill and Tom Curry are just awesome in, in what they can deliver physically. Um, on top of that, then you have Owen Farrell and George Ford's possible combination there at 10-12 if they go that way. And their ability to, to make really good decisions with those simple enough screenplays they run. But it's not simple to defend when the player on the ball is making a really good decision and kind of disguising with their body language, where the ball is going to go, whether front door or back door. And if it's someone like Manu Tuilagi punching onto the ball, you've got to respect his run on that flat line. And, and it just all of, a come, all of a sudden becomes very difficult. And then really sheer pace out in the back three with Daly and Watson and May, guys who are well able to finish. Um, and then they have a kicking game as well with, with multiple options across the back line, really. Ben Youngs is a brilliant box kicker, probably underrated in that regard. I think with, with Murray, he's the best in the world. Um, Farrell obviously and even a guy like Slade who may miss out on the team brilliant kicker further out the back line daily with his left boot as well and other guys so I think they uh, you know set piece wise as well we saw what they did to the Irish line out and George Cruz is a really good operator in that regard Jamie George for me is the best hooker and best thrower I think in, in the game and um, they're sort of look they're packed with real strengths as well as that Eddie Jones has an intimate knowledge of Japan and the conditions here and um, I feel like their approach has been really clever everything they've done seems really sensible and, and with with this end goal in mind and it has been the case for a long time and he's been very very open about everything building towards this World Cup now I know people will be very quick to slag him off if that goes badly but right now I, I feel they're in a, a really good place for it I, I agree with you though, this pool is really fascinating that France-Argentina match again on Saturday what a day of rugby that's going to be that will be really interesting in deciding possibly the second spot in the pool Oh and what have you made of Argentina uh, can we expect them to kind of patch things together inexplicably again and become a World Cup force or are they just a little bit off the pace this time or like does it go back to what you were saying even about as we saw with Ireland uh, and in the rugby championship teams are just holding a little bit back and we kind of don't quite know what they're going to produce in this pool yeah I, I think Argentina are definitely struggling and I think they've shifted away from that uh, high scrum dependency type game where a lot of a lot of value was placed under set piece and have moved to a kind of a high ball movement type side where high skill levels, good kicking game, but their scrum has really deserted them and, and has been probably their biggest weak point in test matches and has caused them a lot of issues. So that's something I, I guess Mario Ledesma will, will look to adjust as the World Cup goes on. But uh, obviously the Haguars in Super Rugby uh, got to their first uh, final and, and I guess their big advantage is essentially it's an international team playing club rugby kind of half the year and then those combinations uh, staying together through to the World Cup. So they've definitely got the kind of cohesion and, and combinations that should see them go well in, in the World Cup. But I think their set piece, especially against France and England, is something they're going to have to write if they're going to get out of the pool. Murray, I'll ask you about France in a second. Uh, on England, uh, your impression of them over the last year or two? And would you go along with Murray that they're likely to top this pool despite how difficult it is? Yeah, I, I think if you looked at the World Cup warm-ups, they're, they're kind of showing some ominous signs of, of that power game, I guess, that, that has been much vaunted. And 
I think the, their reliance on that that Polynesian factor of Tuolagi and the Bunapala brothers, I think those three are, are massively key to that go-for game um, that you're trying to play. And, and interesting, once they get momentum in behind, they're not looking to die with the ball. They're, they're trying to promote the ball off the ground and not have rooks, which is something Australia are doing as well. And, and I think they're just trying to add a couple of layers to their game uh, to go with that that power game but I think they're definitely in an ominous form and with the halfbacks that they have as, as Murray's alluded to they've got a wealth of experience um, to kind of guide that powerful pack around the pitch so yeah as it's as as things stand you you would think they're favourites to get out of the ball on top Do you think it's a concern at all just the fact uh, that like they'll have to pretty much roll out most, most of their front liners twice in the pool like they just have a very difficult run if they're going to get all the way or go to a final it, you know, you have to go through Australia and France and then potentially South Africa, New Zealand or Ireland. Like it's uh, you're talking about like sort of four or five elite level games at, in a row, essentially. Um, is that is that kind of a disadvantage ring then at all? I think they do have the depth for it. But as you said, I think going into a quarterfinal, I don't think Wales or Australia would be overly concerned about playing in, you know, in a quarterfinal, obviously from the previous World Cup both. Australian Wales ended England's uh, participation at the group stages. So, and Wales obviously beat England this year in the Six Nations. So, I don't think either of those teams will be overly concerned uh, with that prospect in a quarterfinal. So, England are definitely going to have to be on their game. But I think they do have a huge amount of depth in their squad, uh, particularly in the pack that uh, will allow a little bit of rotation in those pool games without necessarily weakening their side. So, um, th- their squad will definitely be tested. And, and that quarterfinal matchup with either on form in Australia or Wales will be a difficult assignment for them. That, that's an interesting point, though, that, you, that you're making there, Gav, in terms of how the schedule lays out. We spoke about last week. Like, in my opinion, it's a, it's a positive for Ireland as they start with the two most difficult pool games, and then they have the two that they really should be heavy favourites in and potentially can rotate a couple of guys or maybe pull someone out if there's a little niggle and be really fresh for the quarterfinal. Whereas England start with those two, the Tonga and USA games, mm. and then they play the two other really strong uh, nations in the pool. So potentially you're you're not as fresh coming into a quarterfinal, and it'll be interesting to see what effect that has on things. I think historically, I, I know the guys on on ten fourteen rugby were looking at that, and historically that having your harder games at the start of the pool is is an advantage. I know that's obviously a hindsight thing, and and people can change those by performing in in different ways in in this World Cup, but. For me, that is certainly from Ireland's point of view an advantage in their schedule, and I think it, it suits them down to the ground again. As we mentioned last time, playing France in the final pool game in 2015, that didn't work out too well, even though it was a great victory. Uh, emotionally and physically, it took a huge toll. 100%. Yeah. yeah actually, in, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry to cut across you there. Just intriguingly, I'd be fascinated to see the kind of contrast in England and Ireland's pre season build up in terms of that, that strength yeah. and conditioning factor because Ireland are obviously are we're training to peak for game one of the World Cup whereas England as you said Murray they got a couple of games to ease into that World Cup so I wonder just in terms of that tactical periodization how they how they've managed it to kind of maybe peak for those early games in the Rugby World Cups maybe take a little bit of a dip and then build again towards the back half of the, the pool stage so It'd be fascinating. Obviously, we won't, we won't find out much until after the World Cup, but just, just how the pre-season's differed. Murray, give, give us your take on France. I know you have a soft spot for them, having spent some time down there as well uh, a few years back. It looks like they've started to get their stuff together, essentially. Yeah, allez les bleus. Hopefully they turn <laughs> up, and they usually do. <laughs> when it comes around to World Cup time, they've got a great history, and I think they'll... Um, emotionally feed off that and, and mentally that'll be a, a great aid to them. There have been changes to the coaching staff with Galtier and Lauren Labitte coming in and certainly it looks that they've added a bit more structure to what France are doing. Uh, Jacques Brunel, obviously very experienced, but I'm not sure if that kind of tactical, technical side of the game is really his, his strength and those two coaches um, have brought a lot of that and, and certainly that more kind of modern edge to how they're playing. They look to be um, getting into shape a, a little bit more in terms of how they attack and Defensively, still a fair bit of work to do, but uh, if you can put those kind of athletes, like these are incredibly good individual role players, and if you can bring those, um, bring that some of the parts together, then you've got a really, really impressive collective. And as you say, the 
the preseason has been encouraging from their point of view. It is an interesting squad. And again, looking at the Caps' point of view, it's not the most experienced squad. Indeed, of the kind of nine leading nations, they actually have the fewest. I think their average Caps 26 in their squad and average age is 26.5, which is um, lower than, than the other kind of nations you would see as contenders. They have, what, eight or nine players who have less than 10 Caps and they've brought a lot of that youth through I know French rugby does tend to chop and change a lot, so guys probably don't rack up the number of caps they would elsewhere, but there is really exciting talent coming through um, into that squad. I think for me, more realistically, probably 2023 and on home soil will be a, a World Cup where they really um, are among the favourites, but I, I do think they're probably capable of, of an upset in this tournament. Um, whether they go deep into it, I'm, I'm not really convinced, and I think the fact that they've turned up and performed well in World Cups when they maybe haven't been always brilliant in the past is less relevant now in, in a game where the prep is just so important and um, building up and, and planning is really important as well but yeah it would be fun to see them just rip it up again wouldn't it they've players who are capable of, of absolute magic across their back line they've some really beefy forwards as well um, and I don't think anyone could enjoy playing them <laughs> certainly not we'll get your uh, predictions for the pools uh, towards the end but let's just wrap with pool D firstly so as we mentioned, it's Wales and Australia in there that would be sort of fancy to get out of it. Um, maybe starting with Australia own, like who you'd be fairly in tune with. Yeah. They seem a little bit hit and miss from what we've seen uh, on this side of the globe, but certainly on their day, like as I proved in that home game against New Zealand, the rugby championship, they're a serious force to be reckoned with, whereas previously we probably would have thought this World Cup was coming a little bit too soon for them. Yeah, and I, I think the big change has been in, in their game model and attack, really. Uh, they've probably moved away from a, a prescribed attacking structure to a, a little bit more dynamic, unpredictable attack where uh, there's a massive focus on ball movement. Uh, one of the key stats in that game against New Zealand and Perth was that they had 12 different halfbacks during the game. Uh, so, so what I mean by that is when the ball was ready to play, whoever arrived played the ball. They weren't waiting for nine to get their... Uh, to shift the ball and they're massively reliant on quick rook speed, uh, high ball movement uh, and as I alluded to earlier, not kicking the ball away. I think probably an area of the game that definitely needs to improve is, is, is their kicking game. I think they got found out um, in Eden Park which, which obviously hasn't been a happy hunting ground, hunting ground for Australia over the last 30 years and I think New Zealand might have done Ireland a favour back in 2011 when uh, when they put the fixture in Eden Park when Ireland when Ireland beat the Wallabies. In Eden Park. <laughs> they just, literally, they don't like something about the ground and, and and it was wet conditions that night and I think that's something that they're going to have to to deal with in Japan. We talked about the humidity and the and the weather conditions that they really need to build a, a more structured kicking game to what they're doing because uh, it got badly found out in that in that return fixture uh, against New Zealand. When I think New Zealand beat them 36 nil. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. It's obviously a new attack structure. There's only five games into it with uh, Sean Byrne, but there, there was some there was some really positive uh, indications in that first Redslow that uh, anytime you're putting over 40 points on the Zealand team, albeit with 14 men for half the game, there's there's uh, significant progress to their attack. And, and I think uh, Sammy Karevi in midfield is is really the focal point of their attack. He, he had an, an outstanding season with the Queensland Reds and. I'm shifting him into 12. I think he, he wanted to be a 13, but I think 12 has really been a kind of big change in his game and giving Australia that, that go forward um, that perhaps have lacked a little bit in times gone by. I think it has served really well for Australia. And I'd imagine a kind of Karevi, Kuranjani potential midfield, if it is wet, I think just gives gives Australia a lot of, uh, I guess, go forward, uh, ball off midfield. And then their set piece, which I guess they have been renowned for, I think has been a strength of theirs. Um, a lot of the Brumbies guys from Super Rugby are uh, forming that uh, tight five of um, Australia. And I think in that New Zealand game, I think 36 points originated off either line out or scrum where they're 91 and 100% success rate. So their set piece has been a kind of a go-to uh, part of the game for them that's um, that's definitely improved and I think they'll look to build on that in the World Cup How optimistic are they, uh, on they down there? Sorry Mark, go on Sorry, I was going to ask a follow up on, on Sean Byrne, obviously he had a great spell in, in Leinster, a very popular guy still in Ireland um, and great to see him involved in the World Cup has he yep. used any moves that you've actually made up on? Has he stolen anything from you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's got a big enough playbook himself. But no, I, I think there's, especially off first phase attack, I think there's been some 
really, I guess everyone's always associated Australia with kind of innovative rugby and um, really uh, innovative first phase attacks. So I think that's something Australia brought into rugby championship under Sean Byrne with a number of uh, first phase tries. So he's definitely had an impact since he's gone into camp uh, under Michael Shecker. Murray, obviously we're fairly up to speed on Wales, but just looking at this pool and, and how you think it's going to play out, we might even start with the predictions because we've kind of spoken about Wales in, uh, in depth with Bernard uh, Jackman over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that game is the key game, obviously, Wales against Australia. How do you see that one playing out? And do you think that will, uh, well, essentially determine who wins the group? Or like, are we sleeping on Fiji a little bit? Could Fiji produce something? Yeah, that's, that's the hope. I guess we mentioned earlier on in terms of a few shocks and upsets. And World Rugby have probably put all their eggs into that Fiji basket. They've been the most heavily funded in the last couple of years, obviously with the Fijian Drua coming in, uh, into play in the National Rugby Championship over there in Australia. I guess, Owen, you're in a better position to, to comment on that, having coached against them. Obviously, they've had major success over there. But even something like that has added another kind of layer to Fiji and rugby. And, and they do look better prepared than ever, I would say, for this World Cup. What, what have you made of that um, growth, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you got, look like guys like Vatikani, who came out of the Drew and, and signed for London Irish, Arbert Tuasui uh, Sane was uh, impressive when they won the NRC last year, and he also signed for London Irish. And I think they're trying to keep as many Fijian players in Fiji. Um, obviously, it's been uh, well talked about that the number of nations that kind of, I guess, go into Fiji and, and bring them to places like France or even Australia and New Zealand and, and um, I kind of rob Fiji of some of its best players. I think if you were to put together Fiji World 15 uh, that are playing for other countries, I think they'd probably be World Cup favourites. So I think there's been a, a big effort to try and cultivate that local talent, keep them in Fiji, kind of give them a pathway uh of professional rugby through the Drua and then into the either the Sevens program or onto the Flying Fijians program. And and I think if you look at that Fijian team, there's a, a number of players playing high level European rugby with kind of some of the best teams in Europe. Um Nakarara, I'm a massive fan of the lock, his offloading ability. Um like he's been a top class player. And I remember a couple of years ago he pretty much won Glasgow that uh, pro was it pro twelve at the time that pro twelve final. Yeah. He, he just he just tore tore um, the opposition defence to shreds in that final with his offloading ability. And then I guess Toi Sava, Radradra in the back line. They've got a number of players that uh, are of the kind of highest level. And I think again that continuity of of the uh, Pacific Nations Cup into the into the World Cup. I think the more time they spend together, the, the more cohesive unit they'll become and, and will definitely be uh, vying for an upset either against uh, Australia or Wales. Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating uh, fascinating matchup. Both those games, um, Australia-Fiji is obviously on that Saturday as well, so what a day it will be it's going to be. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you found a good bar in Tokyo, Murray? Uh, no, no drinking. So I've been uh, busy working, so I haven't quite stopped okay. that yet. I've been out here in Chiba <laughs> where it's not too glamorous, to be honest. It's a bit more quiet, um, but I'm sure there's plenty of spots in Tokyo. Uh, it's going to be a, br- a brilliant day, Roby. I realise I've kind of dodged your question, Gavin, in terms of actually predicting that pool. Wales are a really interesting one. Gareth Anscombe, for me, is a massive loss for them. Their defence is obviously superb and has been for a long time under Sean, Edber- uh, Sean Edwards. Gareth Anscombe just added that little bit of I guess creativity or ability to prompt forwards into the right holes on their on their on their ball carrier ball carrying in midfield with his passing game and, and he's comfortable up in, in the face of traffic. Dan Bigger, listen, what a strong personality, what a brilliant kicking game he has, what a competitor he is, brilliant defender as well and superb in the aerial battle, often going and retrieving his own Gary Owens. I just feel they're missing a, a, a bit there. So um, in terms of how the pool ends up, I probably would have gone with Wales a, a couple of months ago, obviously off the back of that grandstand. But I do think Australia have a nice squad gathered now. And, and the guys that Michael Cech has brought back in, in terms of James O'Connor being there, Nick White even to, to compliment Will Genia, two really good halfbacks. Um, and it's really interesting. I, I, what's the sense over there on in terms of the out-half? Lilia Fano, a guy we know well from having come over to Ulster. What an incredible story for him to battle back from uh, being diagnosed with leukaemia to now being at the World Cup. And Bernard Foley obviously has been there for years and, and was a great, uh, really important player in the last World Cup when they went all the way to the final. What's the sense of where, where he's going to go with that? 
Yeah, I, I think it's the warm-up games and the rugby championship is an indicator that I think Lee Fano got the vast majority of game time and, and it looks like he's going to partner him with Nick White. Uh, obviously, they've got previous history together with the Brumbies um, before Nick White went to Europe and, and I think that combination probably gives Australia its best kind of um, all-round game or running game or kicking game and, and as you said, Lee Fano had an exceptional season for the Brumbies and he probably is in pole position, but obviously Will Genia is a world-class player as well, and, and Bernard Foley. Uh, Michael Cheka is someone that kind of rewards players that have delivered for him in the past, uh, and Bernard Foley, both for the Waratahs and for the Wallabies, uh, has delivered for, for Cheka on multiple occasions. So definitely Foley isn't out of the running for the for the starting jersey either, and, and you could see a kind of a mix-and-match approach to that as the pool goes on before kind of picking picking their starting halfbacks for a, a quarterfinal. Owen, we'll start with yourself. So you make a call and at Pool D, give us uh, who you think will come out on top and who you think will come second. Well, we'll go back to good old stats again. Australia also, along with New Zealand, South Africa, a pretty formidable World Cup record. Their their win percentage is 81% and have only lost nine games and have won two World Cups. So when it comes to World Cups, they they always overachieve and, and deliver on the big stages. So I, I, given I become a, an Australian citizen tomorrow, I'll, uh, I'll go for Australia. <laughs> my newly adopted country is as as top in the group over Wales. Nice one. Murray, you leaning that way as well? Yeah, I'll go that way as well. From a personal point of view, I hope Fiji upsets someone and make a bit of history. Mm. I'd just love to see it happen. I think it'll be brilliant for the world game as well to show that we have had a bit of growth and it's not just the same old... Um, people at the top table I'd love to see Fiji upset someone okay and then previous don't they? they they beat Wales in 07 yeah. um, to knock Wales out of the yeah. World Cup so um, yeah they've got previous history doing it so fingers crossed fingers crossed uh, fingers crossed obviously for Pool A are you both going Ireland to top it and Scotland to come second or do you think Japan can spring something in there Murray, yeah I'm, I'm almost I'm almost leaning towards Japan it's the final pool game Um they play each other and if injuries haven't shorn Japan a few players I think they could even pip Scotland in that game uh, it, it's a very very tough one to call Ireland definitely the top from my point of view um, okay listen the sensible part of me is leaning back towards Scotland because they played so much more uh, kind of elite level rugby um, but again I'd like to see Japan as hosts uh, make, um, make a bit of history So you're saying Ireland Scotland but the heart is saying Ireland yeah. Japan <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Owen, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think I think I read a stat the other day. That Japan win against South Africa and the that, that big upset win in 2015 was Japan's only their second ever win at a World Cup. So for them to to qualify from the pool, they're going to have to put together three wins, um, which is going to I think is going to be difficult for them. I, I I think they've got a couple of big performances in them, but yeah, I'd fancy Scotland to to come out on top against Japan and probably finish second behind behind Ireland in the pool super pool B then and the fixture we're probably most looking forward to from a neutrals perspective who is going to win that fixture and by association top the pool between New Zealand and South Africa Owen might start with yourself the Southern Hemisphere man yeah um, yeah it's a tight game of call do we have any idea the weather conditions on Saturday Murray in Tokyo there is a little bit, not as much rain. It is um, there is going to be a bit of rainfall, but not quite to the extent of um, of Sunday. So uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be. It looks like it's going to be wet, but not to the same degree. Yeah, yeah. I'd fancy New Zealand to to come out on top of that in a kind of tightly fought affair, but um, it really is a kind of fifty fifty game. It's it's hard to call in South Africa if, if conditions do deteriorate. I think definitely have both the kicking and power game to, to obviously cause New Zealand a lot of hassles. But I'll go to Zealand to top the pool with South Africa a very close second. Murray? I'll go the other way, just about. I think South Africa have bounced the momentum about them in, in a really confident place. So I'll lean towards them. And then that would make it obviously nice and interesting. Then Ireland could play um, New Zealand in the quarterfinal. That would be nice and handy. Yeah, <laughs> I'll ask you about, uh, about Ireland's prospects in a second. Pool C then, just to wrap off the, sorry, to box off the pools, England, France, Argentina. Uh, will it actually finish in that order, the way it stands, Owen? Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can look past England to top the pool and, and uh, come out on top. And then, yeah, the, I, I just as Burry's already discussed, it, discussed, I think France have shown a little bit of a... Uh, 
an, an improvement in form from previous Six Nations. And um, yeah, I, th I think they'll have too much to beat Argentina, particularly at set piece time, as I said already. I think the French scrum could cause Argentina a lot of trouble. So yeah, England to top the pool, France in second. Nice one. Well, before we uh, look at Ireland's prospects very briefly and make a call on that, um, let me throw a couple of... Uh, I'm putting you on the spot with these questions, but a couple of them. Like, do you see a, a surprise package of the tournament, Murray? Or like, based on what we're saying with the pools, is it kind of... Well, I mean, you could argue France winning a quarterfinal could be a kind of a surprise package. So anything like that that you see sort of cropping up that maybe we wouldn't have seen on paper coming into the tournament? Yeah, I think you've probably mentioned the most likely one in terms of how I'm looking at the pools right here in front of me and who we've called there to, to come out of them. Um, I think a lot of people would like to get France in a quarterfinal and they'd be perceived as the weakest team there getting through into knockout stages. But <laughs> the All Blacks found out to their detriment that that's not always the case. Um, and they can certainly uh, cause an upset in that sense. It is hard to see it happen in the pools. Fiji, I go back to them as the the most likely ones to, to upset the apple cart. Um, and it would be something that I think people would love getting behind. You even think of them winning the, the Rio Olympics and people who had no interest in sevens at all, I remember at the time, were supporting them fairly fanatically and, and really enjoying that. And there is a real romanticism about Fijian rugby within the sport. And I think um, everyone would love to get behind that. Yeah, is that the most likely one for you, Owen? Uh, Fiji springing an upset or... Can you see like anything happening that we wouldn't have expected? No, I think probably Fiji are the best place, as Murray's already discussed, um, with potentially potentially Japan if they get that wave of support. Like Japanese supporters, as Murray's already indicated, is such a thirst for the game over there, and, and there will be a wave of, of emotion and goodwill towards them, which at a World Cup uh, counts for a lot. So I don't think that can be underestimated. But I think the most fascinating thing about the World Cup in general is there, you couldn't say there's an absolute standout favourite uh, like the 2015 World Cup when New Zealand were probably the most dominant international team there'd been. Um, I think any of the top six teams in the world will, will fancy beating each other on their day and, and it leads to a kind of real uncertain um, last four and final. I, I, I think it's a toss of a coin, particularly between the top four teams in the world at the moment. Uh, anyone can beat anyone on their day. Okay, so what do we think of Ireland's prospects? Um, you reckon, Murray, that we'll be playing New Zealand in a quarterfinal. How far do you think Ireland will go in the tournament if you had to make a call on it, obviously without having seen a ball kicked yet? I think they're capable of getting to a semi-final. Um, they've got two wins out of three against the All Blacks, obviously, uh, last couple of years, and having nearly beaten them in 2013, there's... No point in underestimating the All Blacks and how much they're going to drive their game on this competition, how much it'll bring out the best in them um, and having those previous World Cup experiences. But I don't... I haven't quite bought into the doom and gloom around Ireland. I know 2019 Six Nations was poor from, from their point of view, but it really does sound like... Not even... I know Joe Smith has mentioned in the media a couple of times, but it really does sound like they've spent the whole year just focusing on the World Cup. Even a couple of players have mentioned that they were talking about World Cup quite early. Um, I know they don't do that in the media. It feels like everything is built towards this, having won the Grand Slam last year, and this is Schmidt's last hurrah, obviously, and a couple of the players obviously signing off. Um, Rory Best, obviously, the, the prominent one there, signing off afterwards. So I think they're going to bring their very best to this tournament, whether their style of play, and, and what Owen mentioned about them potentially developing that, has moved on enough, remains to be seen. But I think in those high-stakes games. I know they haven't won a quarter-final. Last time around in 2015 was different to the other ones for me because they lost so many key guys through injury, so it wasn't really about bottling it or ever, however people want to term it that way. Um, and I'd, uh, you know, I, I think that a semi-final would be a really good World Cup for Ireland as well. Owen, what do you reckon? How far will Ireland go? Yeah, I, I genuinely think Ireland, if, if they get New Zealand or South Africa in a quarterfinal, have the capacity to beat them. I think you can't underestimate the winning culture that's been built in that Irish team since 2014. That they're, they're used to winning competitions. And I, I think we spoke about New Zealand having belief going into World Cups. So we could say that Ireland have been beyond the quarterfinal of the World Cup. But I think this is a, a very differently prepared Irish team going to the World Cup, possibly the best prepared there's ever been. And, and that winning culture and you can't underestimate the, the the nine and ten combination if they can keep Murray and Sexton fit uh, going into a quarterfinal. Um, I think they they definitely have the game and and the sophistication of those those strike plays that Joe Schmidt is renowned for. I think 
we've discussed about South Africa's high press line speed, but they also have very vulnerable defenders like Chelsea Colby, Mampimpi, um, from from experience with Mampimpi and Super Rugby, has definitely got flaws, especially off first phase strikes. So, if any coach is going to find some some flaws in uh, an opposition defence, it's Joe Smith. So, um, I'd be pretty confident of Ireland getting at least beyond the quarterfinal and then into a semi. Then all bets are off. <laughs> that sounds good to me what about overall winners then so gents um as you mentioned on yourself like it's it's kind of a toss of a coin between four or five teams um sort of going to your head i suppose if you had to pick one from now which way are you leaning um yeah i gotta go with new zealand i guess i've got a statistical background their stats suggest that uh they've got a habit of winning world cups and, and don't often lose so um, I, I, again, it'll be key to them to to keep their key guys fit. I don't necessarily think that New Zealand have the depth that they used to have, but I think in key positions, if a Bowden Barrett was to get injured, um, would be a massive loss. They've obviously got a bit of vulnerability in their lock department as well, with Ritalik struggling to come back from a from a shoulder injury. So, if they were to lose a white lock from their line out, then they could be vulnerable. But um, like all teams, I think if they keep their frontliners fit, then New Zealand to win it for me. Murray, which way are you leaning? Yeah, I'll stick with England. Um, for the aforementioned reasons, I think the Northern Hemisphere teams have, have closed the gap on the All Blacks in, in the last couple of years. And um, for me, they're the most impressive squad. How good would an Ireland-England final be? Jeez, be <laughs> <laughs> we can dream. Chance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a million for your time. We'll wrap it there. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it now, I have to say. Uh that Saturday is looking fairly magical. Owen, a smashing debut. Thanks a million for joining us. Really appreciate it. And I'll also enjoy your Australian citizenship. Thank you very much. Great to be on. And I look forward to a few more chats as the World Cup progresses. 100%. Looking forward to it. Murray, we'll catch you again as well during the week. Thanks a million. I'll do my best to stay out of trouble here. And looking forward to um, loads more chats with Owen. Great to have him on board. Um, and yeah, bring on the rugby now. and thanks a million to you guys uh, for listening at home Uh, we will catch you again during the week and until then have a good week take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field if you're working as an accountant and you lose your job nobody really notices Leinster could offer me five mil a year I wouldn't go (laughs) it is Tommy Moore Robbie Robbie weekly little reverse pass and he's